Welcome to Think Bible, the podcast that exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome back to the Think Bible podcast. I'm your host today, Stephanie Smith. And again, I'm just so thankful that you've chosen to join us. Help us continue to share and spread the word um, with your friends and your family. Tell them about Think Bible and invite them over to listen to some of our recordings. Well, last week we started out with some general information to help us in our Bible study. Um, We talked about things like how the Bible isn't a modern day novel and we need to look at it as it actually is. So we might not find the detail we're accustomed to. We might find some assumptions about culture and life that we aren't used to. Um, We realize that the more we study, the more we understand and the more we can learn about God and his message. Um, And that learning the Bible is a lifetime pursuit, something that we'll never fully accomplish, but it's an ongoing journey. And lastly, we talked a little bit about meditation. So I hope you've been able to put some of that into your Bible study and reading this week and that you've begun working on your meditation habit. You know, there are two things we have to believe about the Bible in order for our studies to be productive. First, we have to know that God's word is always true. He cannot lie and we can trust everything in his word. And secondly, very much related, the Bible is the sole authority in the life of a Christian. We can't follow the Bible sometimes and follow the world or the culture or our own hearts at other times. It's a choice we must make. And it's always worth it to obey and submit to God rather than to our own desires. And the outcome will be better than we ever expected. (laughs) So let's get started in trying to understand biblical narratives today. What is a narrative? Well, a narrative is a story, which are the most effective form of human communication. The Bible Project says, Stories train us to make sense of the seemingly random events that happen in life by putting those events in sequence so we can understand their meaning. Another writer puts it this way. Stories allow us to experience information. Experience, that's the key word there, as opposed to just consuming it. While Bible narratives have the elements that we typically expect, like main character and supporting characters, um, a conflict, sometimes with nature or with other humans, um, even within oneself and sometimes with God, Um, They also include a resolution, which brings hope to our own lives and our own stories. But there are other things in biblical narratives that are different from what we would expect, too. If I were going to write a story to try to convince people to follow me, I would want that story to be presented in the best light possible. Um, I would want my characters to be honest and full of integrity and brave and all those things. But Bible characters are human. 
They're full of sin and deeply flawed. But guess what? It's because they're just like we are. We're not always supposed to imitate or emulate the characters of the Bible. As an example, Abraham was a man chosen by God to leave his home, to travel to the unknown, um, to an unfamiliar land, and then God promised that Abraham would have children as many as the stars of heaven. The only trouble was his wife was barren. So this doesn't mean that God wants everyone to leave their homes. It doesn't mean he wants everyone to move to a foreign land. It doesn't mean that your wife will be barren, but eventually you will have children. No, there are other parts of the story that are more intended for us to apply. Abraham also questioned God. He jumped ahead of him. He tried to make God's promises come true in his own way and in his own time. Uh, He lied to foreign kings about his relationship with his wife. God certainly does not want us to do those things. So while we should not always copy what we see biblical characters doing or thinking, we can see ourselves in their lives. We could ask ourselves questions, just like the meditation we were thinking on earlier. Do I have the kind of faith that Abraham displayed? When he left his home, do I second guess God's word and his promises? Do I try to force God's hand to provide for me in my way and in my timing instead of being patient and letting him do the work he wants to do? As you continue reading, studying, and meditating on these stories, God will change the way you relate to him and the way you understand him and the world and others, and even yourself. We've mentioned before that biblical narrative doesn't always give a lot of detail to the readers, so that means we must pay careful attention to what details are presented. Names and locations are often symbolic, and their meanings are attached to the lesson that the story presents. For example, we're going to keep talking about Abraham a lot, Um, in this uh, podcast. But for an example, God gave the man Terah three sons, Nahor, which means snorting, Haran, which means mountaineer, and Abram, which means exalted father. Now, which one of those seems the most significant? Well, Abram, of course. So then the story continues to trace the life of Abram. After a time, God makes a covenant with him, promising him a son, a land, and a a lineage that would outnumber the stars and the sand. And God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abraham means father of a multitude. So God indicates the importance of Abraham's descendants by changing his name. It's like a bright red arrow pointing us to the storyline that God wants us to follow. And of course, we know that eventually the descendant of Abraham was Jesus Christ. Another interesting thing about narratives in scripture is that God rarely offers any moral commentary on the choices and actions the characters make. When Abraham left his home in Ur of the Chaldees, 
God didn't say, and the thing Abram did was pleasing in the sight of God. However, he does reiterate that he told Abram to leave his home and to go into the land of Canaan. And once Abram finally reached the land of Canaan, after he stopped in the land of Haran for a while, God immediately made a promise to him. So what can we gather from this? God was pleased with Abram, Abram's obedience and faith. We find passages in the New Testament that reveal a bit more, but they too reinforce the fact that God was pleased with Abram's faith. So instead of just saying so in the original story, God allows us to discover this truth through further reading and more study of the Bible. God is using techniques like this to draw us into deeper fellowship with him, deeper study of his word, and more revelation about himself to us as we allow ourselves to be drawn to him by him. Ultimately, we can learn a lot about the way God deals with imperfect humans. Although critics are notorious for claiming that God is all about wrath, destruction, and punishment to humans, the Bible actually presents a very different story. God repeatedly shows grace and mercy to his children despite their sin and their wrong choices. Remember when Abram told Pharaoh that Sarai was his sister, but he didn't tell, her, tell him that she was also his wife? God actually plagued Pharaoh's house with great plagues because of her. God protected Sarai and Abraham despite his deception to Pharaoh. Not only that, but he sent Abram away with sheep, oxen, donkeys, camels, and servants. This is not to say that God condoned or blessed Abram's sin, but rather that he showed mercy and grace to Abram despite that sin. And we know that Abram repeated the mistake later with Abimelech. And again, God protected Sarai and caused the king to give Abram sheep, oxen, servants, and land. So what can we learn from these stories? God's grace is measureless and not dependent upon man's choices. Also that he protected Sarai. She likely didn't have a big say in what went on, but God protected her. So how should I read a biblical narrative? Again, we're going to use this example of Abraham, this time when God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. You remember that story? Abraham and Sarah both had been renamed by now, and they had waited for years for the promised heir to be born to them. They were old when God finally delivered, 99 and 100 years old. And Isaac was the only son ever born to both Abraham and Sarah together. And then one day, God asked Abraham to sacrifice this precious son. What would have been your response? Well, in our modern day, in our Western sensibilities, we are appalled that God would ask for the life of a child. It seems cruel, barbarous, inhumane, outlandish. But let's think through the story 
and see if we can find some lesson and purpose behind it. Remember, every point of the every part of the Bible points to Jesus. Remember the big picture. And so here's what the scripture says. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. What could the action of offering Isaac upon an altar be pointing to? Do any of the words of this passage bring to mind other parts of scripture? Let's start by looking at the character. Here's a quote from the Bible Project. Biblical stories use characters as mirrors so we can see our own human nature, faults, and tendencies. So there are three characters in this story, God, of course, Abraham, the father, and Isaac, the son. The account uses this language. God told Abraham to take thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. Do those words trigger thoughts of any other verses? Well, how about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can compare Abraham's son, Isaac, to God's son, Jesus. Both of these were only sons, and both sons were loved. Yet God tells us in John that he didn't love only his son, but he also loved the world enough to give us his son. That's you and me. And God was asking Abraham, do you love me enough to give up your son? So we see another example of God leading us deeper and teaching us more as we continue searching his word. So those are some similarities in the characters between Isaac and Jesus. Now let's look at the setting. Again, here's from the Bible Project. The setting often prepares us to see what's coming, both immediately and in the future. Certain places hold very specific meaning, like Egypt or the Promised Land, and certain time periods also hold meaning, for example, 40 days or 7 of anything, days, weeks, years. Okay, so let's read through the scripture again. God told Abraham, Get thee into the land of Moriah. Well, where's Moriah? What is it like there? Does that name have any significance? We can certainly look it up on a map and figure out where it was located. But without going through a lot of the research and the detail, Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered his son Isaac, is the same geographic location as the temple in Jerusalem. And now, today, the Temple Mount is there. In Jesus' day, that place was known as Golgotha. Abraham willingly offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, and Jesus was crucified, slain as the offering for the sin of all mankind 
on Mount Moriah, on the same place. They are the one and the same. If nothing else, that's some serious foreshadowing from Genesis to the New Testament. But it kind of opens our eyes and gives this story far more meaning, doesn't it? Okay, let's look at the plot of the story. And God had told Abraham to offer him, that's Isaac, offer him there for a burnt offering. Now, fast forward all the way to Hebrews, almost the end of the New Testament. We know that Hebrews 11 is the chapter called the Hall of Faith. And in verses 17 through 19, the Bible records this about Abraham and Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. That's Abraham. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. So because Abraham knew God, because he trusted God's character in his word, he knew that things were going to be okay, even if he didn't understand it at that moment. Of course, the Gospels tell us the story that Jesus was indeed offered upon a cross, and he willingly gave his life for us. But he didn't die just to stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. God was not only able to raise him up, he was willing and pleased to do so. So while God did not need to raise up Isaac, because instead he provided a ram in his place, he did raise Jesus from the dead. But still, the similarities in the stories move our minds from the Old Testament and Isaac to the New Testament and Jesus. Sometimes in um, the narratives or in scripture, we'll see patterns. Again, the Bible Project says a pattern is a series of repeated patterns that weave through story after story and tie them all together. So as you're reading, look for embedded keywords and images. This is one of the main ways that God through many writers, has unified the whole Bible. Okay, so remember, we talked about this before um, last episode, Abraham had to carry wood up Mount Moriah in order to make the sacrifice. And he placed that wood on Isaac's back as they were climbing the mountain. In the New Testament, Jesus also had to climb that same mountain where he would become the sacrifice. And what does it tell us but that the Roman soldiers put the cross upon his back? Isaac went willingly, not knowing where the sacrifice for the offering would come from. Jesus also went willingly, although he knew he himself would become the sacrifice. So we see a continuation of the theme of trees that we traced earlier from creation through revelation. Here's this pattern in um, the gospel story and in Isaac's story. And then finally, let's look at some specific words. Um, In the Old Testament, in Genesis, when Isaac asked Abraham, you know, we have the wood, we have the fire, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, my son, 
God will provide himself a lamb. Well, is that saying he would provide it for himself or that he would actually provide himself? Many commentators see this as another hint at God's big plan. God would provide a sacrifice for all mankind and it would be himself. Later in the Old Testament, after Abraham and Isaac, God instituted the sacrificial system under the Mosaic law. Through that, thousands of lambs were sacrificed to atone or to cover the Israelites' sins. And we know that God instituted the Passover at the time of bringing the children of Israel out of the Egypt um, at the Exodus. Um, in the New Testament, God sent Jesus and John the Baptist publicly announced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, we know that the crucifixion happened over the time period of Passover. So early in his recorded word, God was pulling back the curtain on his eternal plan of salvation. He did that through Abraham and Isaac. He did that through um, the children of Israel uh, becoming slaves in Egypt and their exodus. He did it through the institution of the sacrificial system, the Passover, on and on and on we could go. He was giving a glimpse of what was to come. The sacrificial system taught us that no amount of human work could ever erase our sin. It presents us with our clear need for Savior. And of course, that need was met in the person and work of Jesus. So, um, hopefully this example helps you see the way that we can trace um, God's big story, his big plan, all through scripture, even in the very minute details of specific stories. Um, we can see that Abraham offering Isaac really was a picture, a foreshadowing of God's sacrifice of Jesus for the sins of the world. Rather than just saying at some point in the Old Testament, you humans are sinners and you're going to need a savior, God actually demonstrates our need and he demonstrates various people trying to meet that need, but how they were all unsuccessful. We needed a perfect savior and that was provided in the person of Jesus. Um, I just think that there are so many important lessons here for us to learn, not just in those specific um, examples, but talking about narratives, all the things we can learn um, through these stories about God and his plan for the ages. Thank you again for joining us today at Think Bible. Let's close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for your sovereignty and your omniscience and your omnipotence that allowed you to um, direct the events of life from the very beginning um, despite man's wrong choices and sinful hearts you still could bring about your eternal plan for the salvation of mankind that is truly the best and the most beautiful example of bringing beauty out of ashes out of our sin and our wrong choices you bring salvation what a mighty and powerful God you are. 
What a good and loving God you are. We praise you for communicating all these things to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, for caring about us and loving us enough to send Jesus and to teach us in your word so we can know you. Thank you, Father, and I pray that these thoughts and these words would be helpful to our listeners today and you would grow us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Think Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Please visit us at our website, www.thinkbible.com. Dot online to learn more about our ministry or to take advantage of the resources we have there for you. That's www.thinkbible.online. You can also find us at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the name Think Bible. Until next time, let's all think and live biblically for the glory of God.